when companies are growing, they're always looking at how they can hire more people as fast as possible and grow the team. And I think that's a big mistake because when you bring people into an inefficient system, you're really just going to make the problem worse. So you have to start with optimization. For me, optimization is really about looking at how you do what you do now. And while that might sound sort of basic and simple, a lot of us just don't do it. They don't take the time to see why we do things the way we do them. A very basic example, you ask people, how many steps do you think on average it takes to pay a bill? And what do you think the number is, David? Three? Okay, right. So the answer is 23. And Mm -hmm. the problem is is that you think there's three. So if I were to ask you, you know, David, show somebody how to pay a bill, you would basically show them three steps. And then they're left figuring out the the other 20 when problems come up. Ari Mizell created a productivity system out of necessity. He was suffering from a chronic and life-threatening illness that was so severe that he had no choice but to make the most out of every ounce of energy that he had. So he took everything in his life and he applied what he now calls OAO. He optimized, automated, and outsourced everything he could. Through his own system, which is now called Less Doing, he was able to track the symptoms of his illness and what triggered those symptoms. And this helped Ari work his way to a clean bill of health. He eventually competed in an Ironman competition. I talked to Ari several years ago after I first discovered the Less Doing system. That webinar conversation is available to Patreon backers of certain levels. And now as I'm working on my next book, which is going to be called Mind Management, Not Time Management, I wanted to talk to Ari again. I realized that so much of what I've learned and developed over the past several years is built upon what I learned from Ari's less doing system. If you're going to love your work, you have to do less of what doesn't matter and more of what does matter. In this conversation, you'll learn why does OAO, optimize, automate, and outsource, have to be done in order? Avoid the common mistakes people make when they try to scale up broken systems. And Ari says there are deep-seated psychological reasons behind why we procrastinate. Now, what are some of those reasons? You might learn something surprising about yourself. And you've heard me talk about weekly routines instead of daily routines on the podcast before. We're gonna dig deep into Ari's weekly routine. We'll hear how he organizes his three-day, 15-hour work week. For example, why is Thursday Ari's content day? Here is Ari Mizell. I'm here with Ari Meisdell, and Ari created a productivity system that I have personally found very useful called Less Doing. Let's just start with the basics here. Less Doing, that name implies that we're maybe doing too much. So can you talk about where that name comes from and how that is relevant to the way that this productivity system works? Absolutely. Um, Well, thank you for having me. So the the whole idea of less doing, originally it was less doing, more living. And <clears throat> to me, it, it's what I see far too often is that people are doing too many of the things that they shouldn't be doing. So it, it, one of the misconceptions sometimes with, with less doing is that people think I just want people to do less stuff. Uh, and that is not the case. I actually want you to be able to do as much as you want and then some and take advantage of all the opportunities in front of you. But there's too many things that people end up doing that they uh, they really shouldn't be, and that's a waste of their time and a misallocation of resources. Okay, so it's really about uh, maybe allocating resources better. Perhaps that has something to do with this optimize, automate, outsource um, 
principle that you operate off of and the fact that those things have to come in order. Can you talk about OAO as as you call it in your less doing community? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so a lot of people try to outsource first and I, and I use outsourcing and delegating uh, interchangeably. So a lot of people, basically something comes up that they don't want to deal with or it gets to be too hard or that it's inefficient and they think, oh, I just need more people to do. I, I need to find someone to deal with this. And when companies are growing, they're always looking at how they can hire more people as fast as possible and grow the team. And I think that's a big mistake because when you bring people into an inefficient system or a, a, a an unstructured or an environment that's not properly structured, you're really just going to make the problem worse. So you have to start with optimization. For me, optimization is really about looking at how you do what you do now. It's about examining the resources that you're utilizing. And while that might sound sort of like basic and simple, a lot of us just don't do it, right? So they don't take the time to see why we do things the way we do them and, and what we're using. And a really very quick, very basic example of this is that when I love doing this, you ask people, how many steps do you think on average it takes to pay a bill? And what do you think the number is, David? You probably know the answer, but... Uh, uh, three? Okay, right. So the answer is 23. And uh, the problem is, is that you think there's three. So if I were to ask you, you know, David, show somebody how to pay a bill, you would basically show them three steps, and you know, more or less, with all your shortcuts and wait, because that's how you do it. And then they're left figuring out the other, the other 20 when problems come up. Mm-hmm. So we really have to optimize. We have to look at how we do what we do. So that's a big part of it. And then once we do that, automation becomes kind of obvious in a lot of ways because automation at its heart is really about creating triggers and actions. Something happens over here, something else happens over here. And when we optimize the process or optimize what we're doing, automation fits in really well. And once you've done that, those two steps, optimizing and then automating, whatever's left over at that point, or if there's anything left over at all, that's when you should look at outsourcing because that's the part where human beings are needed and can actually add value and can actually engage with the task. Mm. Yeah, and I can, I mean, I can certainly think back to times when I felt overwhelmed and I thought, oh, I just need, you know, more people. I need an assistant. I need this, that, or the other thing. But, and I think that's the natural tendency of a lot of companies uh, is to, if you're struggling, let's hire. But I've heard somebody say like, oh, if you have a bucket, that has holes in it, and you just make the bucket bigger, you scale it up, then the holes get bigger too, and you still have a leaky bucket. Um, So it sounds like when you're optimizing, you are getting rid of those holes first before you scale up up the bucket. Um, So let's let's go with examining examining resources is is something that you talked about. So uh, how does how does somebody go about examining resources? What's, a, what's an example of somebody examining resources and then through that being able to optimize? Well, so a lot of it's about tracking. You know, you can track everything. I mean, you can track pretty much everything that we do nowadays, but a, a really obvious one in business is tracking your time. How are you and everybody else in your team utilizing their time? And a lot of people feel like they might have a sense of it, but I promise you, unless you've done an actual like time study or you use a time tracker like Rescue Time or time mm-hmm. time or things like that you really don't know and there's no matter who you are and myself included we waste time and we spend time on things that we don't understand like where the time went and, and there's no person in the world that is 100% perfectly productive i 
unabashedly can say that I am probably one of the most productive and effective people that I know, which is good because I teach this stuff, but I'm not infallible. And there are still times when I don't get as much done as I should and time goes in ways that I don't plan. So we really need to look at how we're spending our time. And when people are feeling overwhelmed, it's really easy for them to just basically use the flag of I'm busy. You know, well, what, what are you working on? Well, I'm just so busy. I'm so busy with all this, this stuff. And next time somebody tells you that they're really busy, if you, if you like the person, you should ask them, what are you so busy with? And I promise you half the time or more, the person's going to think about it for a second and then basically get frustrated and be like, I, well, I, I'm just so busy. I'm busy. You know, it's all, mm-hmm. all sorts of like, cause they don't know. And they get overwhelmed and they're underwater and you can't read the label from inside the jar and they have no idea what they're actually so busy with. And if you really push them, they might say like, Oh, I spend, you know, hours a day on email or writing reports, whatever. But at the end of the day, if you actually track that information, it's probably a lot less than you think. And one of the reasons for that is that context switching, switching between one task and another, which can happen very, very rapidly in some cases is exhausting and very, very inefficient for people. So you get somebody working on the task that they're really good at and they're really into and they get into a flow state, if you pull them out of that for even a minute, it can take up to 25 minutes. And this is like neurologically researched. It can take up to 25 minutes for that person to get back on track with that thing. Mm-hmm. And that's where your time goes. Yeah, and so the sensation of being busy in a lot of ways is is really just that your 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 attention is kind of scrambled up you are in a uh, you you have a feeling of overwhelm and it's that feeling that gives you the sensation of being busy and therefore you can't even process or think about what you're actually doing and therefore when you decide that you want to delegate or scale up uh you 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 say hire the person and you're like okay go do this thing uh, by the way it's only three steps it's really easy and then they're confused and then they can't figure that out is that kind of how this happens yeah exactly and that's like that's like a vicious cycle that just keeps going yes yeah, so, like just take this paying a bill for example i guess so i might say like well to pay the bill uh you just open up the the email that has the invoice in it click on the the pay bill uh, thing and then enter in our payment information and then uh, click on pay the bill and and in my mind that's just the, the way that it works. Well, what what sort of steps in a process like that uh, might might be hiding in there that that makes it twenty three steps? Right, perfect. And so great great example. So let's say you assign that task to me. The natural questions that should come up if somebody you know sort of reasonably intelligent would be well, well, David, what do you want me to do with the invoice? After I've dealt with it, do I file that somewhere? Do I have to give that to somebody? And then mm-hmm. logging into the payment, what payment service are we using? Do I have the username and password? Is the person already an existing payee in the system or do I have to add them? You know, so like there's, that's just three things that could come up in that whole conversation. And, and there might be something like uh, if the bill, maybe there's a range that, well, if this bill is, is above or below this, amount, well, that's some sort of an edge case that requires some further, uh, some other steps that might not happen otherwise. Yeah. And then are there, are there multiple accounts, you know, which account is this getting paid from? Like, do you want to pay it on the due date itself or earlier? You know, there's, there's lots of questions that come up. Yeah. But even the thing of what do I do with the bill? You know, there's, do you want me to file it in a physical folder somewhere? Do you want it to go into Dropbox? Like, what do you, you know, all these 
all those questions come up. Yeah. So, so while we're still on the subject of, of optimizing, we're, we're talking about how you use your time and how little most of us know about how we use our time. And I know having worked on uh, an app called Timeful where we had a feature where you could put a to-do item on your calendar, that that was a, a very valuable lesson in how little I actually know about how long the things I take do. You know, I, I might have two hours in the morning to work on some some stuff and I have a bunch of to-do items and then I put them on the calendar and then I would find, wow, I really did not have uh, the amount of time that I thought. Those things took a lot longer than I thought they would. Yet at the same time, I also found that being on the clock all the time and uh, trying to set and reach goals in the amount of time certain things was going to take kind of put me in that sense of overwhelm mental state sometimes where now I'm just, my brain is scrambled and I feel very busy. So, and then you mentioned this idea that sometimes there's certain things that just don't go as planned. So to what extent do you have to just kind of have slack or, or wiggle room, uh, or, or is that the, the 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 remedy for this issue of keeping track of your time, putting you in such a vigilant mind state that you can't really think clearly, if you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So first of all, when you're doing time tracking and things like that, you really want to treat it as an experiment. It's not something that you want to do on an ongoing basis necessarily. It's the kind of thing that you you do, and then maybe you check in and do it again in a few months or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of it is, again, it's not about being like obsessive about the time, it's really about bringing awareness to how we are spending our time. And uh, without getting like too much into the psychology and the sort of emotional aspect of all this stuff, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of shame that comes along with procrastination, particularly. And procrastination itself is a very sort of like emotion uh, avoidance activity where you've made a decision to do something and now you're actively putting roadblocks in your way to getting that thing achieved. Uh, so a lot of people who are really bad procrastinators really feel very bad about it. Um, so like just being aware again of how we're actually spending our time, how long things really take us and how long we can get it done. And the thing is, let's say you have six hours to do something and you're really good about this and you know that it's going to take you an hour. A lot of people will really just waste that time and they'll, they'll instead of front loading it, they'll back load it or whatever and they'll wait till an hour before it's due and then they'll just do it then, which is, how like half the world gets through college. I mean, it's not that unusual, but it it's the thing is, is nowadays there's such a fast pace of work and information and communication and things happening that we, the, the best way to plan for the, for the inevitable and for being more flexible is to get things done sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you said you didn't want to get without getting too much into the psychology of it, but I, I don't know. I would actually like to hear about about some of that. Um, I mean, I've even no I've even heard I've even heard somebody say, and I'm not sure if I understand this, but that sometimes people procrastinate as a way of punishing themselves. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah, yeah absolutely, a hundred percent. There's people who have all sorts of issues around control and around validation, and the thing is, is that. It's not necessarily as impressive if you get the task done in six hours as if you get it done in an hour, right? Yeah, well, right, because then you also have that five hours where maybe you don't have anything to do and now you feel like you're useless because you don't have any anything to do with that time. 
That's right. Is exactly. that part and of what's then, going yeah, on there? And, and then we end up sort of wasting time as well. But the, the other thing is there's a much more insidious sort of version of product. Well, it's not even a version. It's, it, it's related to procrastination. But there's a term uh, which is acrasia, which is uh, A-K-R-A-S-I-A. And so where procrastination is where you have made the decision to do something and now you're putting roadblocks in your way to getting it completed. Acrasia is where you know that you should do something, but you're actually not even making the decision to do it. So it's way, way worse and actually what a lot more people experience. It's uh, it's where you're basically like acting against your better judgment, essentially. Oh. Um, and yeah, and so like a good example would be somebody who wants to lose five pounds or 10 pounds, whatever it is, they want to lose weight. It's like, yeah, I really, I got to lose five pounds, but, but they're not like going to the gym or they're not even making a plan to go to the gym or they're not planning to eat better or anything like that. They just know that they should do this thing, but they're not. Um, so we see that a lot. And that's what a lot more people are experiencing rather than procrastination. So the, again, it's particularly insidious. <laughs> Yeah, crazy. I've never heard of heard of that before. So it's just the things that you feel you, you know you should do, but but uh, you're not doing them. Now, what about what about procrastinating on things that you supposedly want to do? Uh, I mean, have you seen that before? Yeah, um, absolutely. That happens too because um, it's and again, there's like there's like 50 different psychological angles you can take here. But there's people have a there's a lot of people who have a fear of success. Um, because of, again, sort of a few different reasons. One of the more common ones is that if somebody's more successful, then they're more exposed and then they're, they've raised the bar and there's more pressure on them. And there's all sorts of things that come along with that. So uh, a lot of times that's where procrastination will come in as well. If it's something that is a positive thing or something that they want to do, is that they're afraid of actually achieving that thing because what that would mean for their life after that. Mm-hmm. I feel like I see it a lot with creative endeavors where you know, somebody dreams of starting a podcast or writing a novel, uh, but then they never do that. And it's funny because you would expect to procrastinate on uh, making an appointment to go to the dentist or studying or something. But if you have this this dream, uh, maybe even planning a vacation, like that you, your, mm-hmm. your dream vacation, you're, you're, you're putting that off. And, and it's this thing that you supposedly want to do that maybe you dream of doing, and then you're still not doing it. Uh, is there anything different at play there? Yeah, and again, it's it's sort of like this this uh, pressure to perform almost is is sort of what comes out of that. So uh, if people are, and, then, and I know this probably sounds this probably sounds like crazy to some people listening to this, but some other people are going to this will really resonate with that. You basically want to make it's it's almost like this uh, inherent human need to maintain balance you know homeostasis basically so we don't want to do badly but we also don't want to do too well on things we just sort of want to do like the status quo in most cases a lot of people whether they admit it or not are really seeking an achievement that is in line with the status quo and nothing more nothing less hmm. um, so anything that threatens that is really a problem for those people I also wonder sometimes, say it's about a, a creative project like a novel, that it's it's more it's more comfortable to imagine creating this novel and how successful it's going to be, and to convince yourself uh, that you're going to do it. It's just that you have to do this, that, and the other thing first, still, than it is to write the novel, publish it and have it not 
meet those expectations? Well, I mean, well, if you look at like the the true, true creative that, you know, some of us have in us and some of us really embody in their work that they do every day, a lot of, I don't know if I want to say most, but a lot of people who are like true, true creatives, they're always creating just for themselves, right? Like uh, they're, they're, even if they have a job and they're doing it for a client, even in some cases, a lot of like the creative pursuit is really a self-satisfaction in many ways. Yeah. So then if you, so then if you have to share that or that you have to put, like, it's not even, it was never meant to be shared, you know, in some ways, like you have that with a lot of uh, visual artists, particularly where like painters, for example, you know, a lot of, unless they're doing something on commission, a lot of painters are painting something because they think it's beautiful and because they want to create it and because there's something driving them to create. But that's sort of paradoxically, you know, at odds with how you actually turn that into a business. Yeah. And and I feel like there's two different types there. There are the ones who are driven to create and they're kind of doing it anyway. And then there's kind of, I don't, I don't know a better word than the wannabe that they like the idea of thinking of themselves as somebody who does that stuff, but then they just, they keep buying the gear, they keep uh, taking the classes, they keep reading the books and then, or they keep listening to the podcasts and and then they never actually do it uh, because because then they would have to, I, I don't know, probably a number of different reasons why why they wouldn't do it. Yeah, but I mean, again, it's sort of it, like it boils down to this sort of fear of success and what that means for a lot of people. Yeah. So we've talked a bit about uh, how to optimize. And then next up is is automate in your A, uh, sorry, O-A-O. Uh, so where do people tend to go wrong uh, when trying to automate something? Well, one thing is that a lot of people get really sort of intimidated by the idea of automating anything in their business because they think it's really complicated and they think you have to be a computer programmer to do it. The, the the end of the day, the automation is really about triggers and actions. Something happens over here and we want something else to automatically happen over here. So you, you start thinking about the everys in your day, right? So anytime you hear yourself saying the word every, like every time a customer signs up or every time I send an email or every time I finish a new design, whatever it might be, there's always a, you know, every time this happens and something else has to happen. And those are really good opportunities to look at automation. So, you know, every time you put out a newsletter, every time you hire somebody, like there's going to be these things that are repetitive in your life and your business and things that are repetitive really need to be automated. Uh, And that's just like a hard rule. Almost anything that we do that's on a repetitive basis has some element of it, if not the entirety of it, that can be automated at this point. And uh, it's nothing to be intimidated by because you don't need to be a programmer. You don't need to have some complex systems knowledge. You just have to understand that idea of triggers and actions. Hmm. Well, and then how can you actually set up these automations? Well, so the easiest platform for anybody listening to get started with is one called IFTTT, which stands for If This Then That. It's the simplest automation platform there is, and it connects with several hundred different services, everything from PayPal to Google Docs to smart home appliances, you name it. And again, you think about those triggers in action. So um, anytime you, uh, let's say, anytime the weather is going to be below a certain amount, then you want to get a text reminder that you should take your umbrella. Like that's a really silly example, but something that actually people use. Uh, If you want to, I mean, it's something as, as basic as when somebody signs up for a newsletter, you want to add them to an email sequence so they get a whole bunch of emails. Like that's an automation. 
um, which some people would do manually, even though there was plenty of systems that allow you to do that. So, so with something like IFTTT, the way to get started is go to IFTTT. It's a free service and start looking at the services that are connected to it. So again, there's everything from like Google Sheets to Google Docs to uh, Stripe and Airtable and Trello and all these different tools that you probably use every single day. And pick one of those tools and then look at the available triggers and actually start to think to yourself, well, that's something I do. I uh, add new lines to a Google Docs spreadsheet. I sell things using Stripe. And then what do you want to happen when that thing comes to there. Um, so you can start to build out what they call recipes in IFTT. And it, again, it's starting with a trigger, what happens here, and then an action, what's going to happen over here because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another another one I like a lot is, is Zapier. I know with uh, IFTTT, uh, just for example, one thing, I live in Colombia. And so every day uh, it sends me, this is very basic automation, but every day it sends me what the exchange rate is between the the peso and the dollar. It sends me that at, at 10 a.m. every day. I don't have to go look it up. Uh, Zapier, I can have things like um, every every time somebody buys uh, something, I it can add them to various lists, uh, things like that that can be automated. Now, one of the things I find that I struggle with so much with automation, though, is that uh, I often feel like oh but there's all these these edge cases that uh, this automation like almost works but it doesn't doesn't quite uh, what do you do about situations like that yeah so you don't really have a lot of uh, like much you could do with that with something like ifttt then with zapier you do actually have a lot more controls and you can start to put in filters and what they call paths which is basically uh, if it's this, go this way. If it's that, go that way. And you can get a lot more granular with something like a Zapier for those situations. So, yeah, a good example is um, every time I do a Facebook Live on our business page, that automatically gets sent to a writer to then write a synopsis of that, which then goes in a newsletter like a week later. But, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I have a really cool content machine set up for emails that go out three times a week. But... The uh, I also do a, a Facebook Live once a week. It's called Tech Talk Tuesday, which is not something that I want to go in the newsletter. It's just sort of like a, a tech update for the week. So all I have to do is put the hashtag social in the description, and that gets filtered out, and it will ignore that when that comes through. Ah, okay. So you have those rules set up in your 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 systems. Mm-hmm. So it, does, it doesn't get sent to that writer in that case because of the hashtag. Right. And that's a filter that you have in, in, in Zapier. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And ideally, you're doing this stuff in order, optimize, automate, outsource. But do you, it seems like you could find uh, in the process of trying to automate something that, oh, this could be optimized more because the limitations I'm seeing in this tool are making it such that maybe I need to make some compromises. Oh yeah, no, it's it's a uh, it's it's a circular process. Oh, oh, it's you keep going through it over and over, and I mean you could you could go a little nuts with it if you wanted to, and just sort of go on it forever. But you can always optimize more. You can always automate more because automation, particularly like with uh, automation, there are things that a week ago you had to have a person do, and now it's something that can be completely automated, and that's pretty consistent. So the pace of automation changes so quickly that there's probably going to be something that you couldn't automate this week that you could next week. Uh, so it, it is sort of a, a looping process. Yeah. And now what about outsourcing? Are there certain things, are there certain like tiers of 
uh, I don't know, skill or complexity at, at which things are, are outsourced or delegated to, to people? Yeah, of course. There's always going to be different sort of echelons of where you can outsource various different things. And you can... Uh, outsourcing is one of those things where like, you definitely, in general, get what you pay for. And there are virtual assistant services that are 40 to $50 uh, an hour. And virtual assistant services that are the, the cheapest one that I'm aware of that I've ever used was $1.60 an hour. Wow. Um, and again, you get what you pay for. However, if you know that, you can work within those systems. So the $1.60 an hour VAs were, not surprisingly, not very good. But if you have a really solid process that's pretty much error-proof that they can follow, then they're perfect for it. So obviously, I'm not going to give a $1.60 an hour VA like sales lead work or really intensive research or things like that. But there is a place within which to use them in your system. So uh, you really, again, so, so the short answer is yes, you can sort of go to any complexity level you want. It's really about where they fit in the system. And so this 50 or $60 an hour virtual assistant, you could maybe forward the invoice to with, a, with the proper access and say, hey, uh, pay this. And also, by the way, make a process for paying these. Uh, whereas the $1.60 an hour one would pr- probably be the person to follow that process once it was solidified. Correct. Okay. Um, now, one of the key ideas that I think I, I got from less doing when I took the Udemy course years ago was this idea that you have certain times in the week when you do certain things. Uh, is that something you still do? And, and why? Yeah, definitely. So every one of us has a different sort of circadian rhythm, right? And it, that centers around something called peak time or biological prime time. It depends which research you look at. And our peak time is basically a 90-minute period of the day where you are two to 100 times more effective than any other time of the day. And that is, in that context, what that means is that you're more able to sort of drop into a flow state than other times. And the flow state, for those who aren't familiar, is there's a number of different sort of symptoms associated with it, but the, the main one is a, a dilation of time. So if you've ever, and this is particularly relevant to creatives, if you've ever been in a situation where you felt like you know hours passed by in a matter of minutes, or the reverse, where something that was very, very fast was slowed down, both of those are considered flow states. Um, so in this peak time, you're more able to drop into a flow state and get more done in, in theory. And then what you find is if you sort of protect that time and use it for your highest and best work, then you start to notice other times of days and even times of the week where you do things better than others. So for me, for example, I can't really do solid creative work before like eight o'clock at night. It's just something I've learned about myself. And oh, wow. Some, yeah. So some of that has to do with the fact that my I have four small children and things sort of quiet down uh, at that point. The other thing is that generally people tend to be more creative when they're tired, which is kind of annoying because basically what that's saying is that like we're shooting down our, all our ideas all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something I've learned about myself. And that's very freeing because if I get a request from somebody at 10 in the morning to write some major blog post, I'm not going to attempt it at that point because... If I even get it done at all, it'll be terrible. So 
And that's one thing. And then you start to learn that there's better times that you're on the good times for you to be on the phone, good times for you to deal with busy work, with finances, with hardcore, like analytical sort of work. All of these different times, we, we, there are better times and places for you to do them. For most people, that is sort of a daily cycle that repeats itself. But for uh, many as well, there are certain times of the week that you might do that better than others. So my work week, which is sort of the official time when I will have meetings and schedule things like podcast interviews like we're doing right now, is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday between 9.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. That's my work week. Uh, and a lot of that is designated by the fact that my kids are in school and I like pick them. I take them to school every morning and I pick them up every day. So I have sort of compressed my work week into that box as much as I can. Yeah. And so this idea of a week especially has been powerful for me. It's something that I have uh, developed and worked on and shared on the show and it has resonated really well with people. So I'd love to actually compare notes with you on this a little bit more. Uh, You say that your work week is, uh, I believe it was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 9.30 a.m. to 2 p.m., right? 2.30, yeah. To to 2.30, okay. And are there certain days when you do or do not do certain types of activities like on within that week? Within the two, yeah. So generally speaking, I'm trying to record when I'm doing recording. So like Thursday is a really good content day for me. So whenever I can schedule podcast interviews, like like we did today, uh, it's I try to do those on Thursdays because it's Thursday on, as we speak right now. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So which happens th- to be my podcast time as well. Okay, perfect. So that's why we're producing such a rock star podcast right now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But that's like when I have to do videos and I have to do uh, uh, podcasts and uh, some writing and things like that. So the or or at least come up with ideas for blog posts and whatnot. So one of the ways that I really made that work is that I pre-schedule a lot of our content. So before we got on this today, I recorded the next two weeks of podcast episodes because. I'm going to be traveling with my family for spring break. I actually use an app, or a, yeah, it's an app called OneStream, which allows you to play a pre-recorded video as a Facebook Live. So I do a, I do a weekly Facebook Live, but I'm rarely actually doing it live. Oh so, wow! Yeah. <laughs> so while I'm on vacation with my family next week, my regular weekly Facebook Live will be playing, and you know nobody will know the difference, and. Uh, that allows me to. That, what that really allows me to do is that I. So, like, let's say I want to have the the Facebook Live every Wednesday at noon, but Wednesday at noon is just not a productive time for me. It's not a. Uh, it's not a creative time. It doesn't matter in this case. I can use my creative time for what it is, and then pre-schedule this kind of stuff so it goes out when it makes sense for them. Wow, this one stream thing is huge because. I mean, I, I just, if, if I think about doing a Facebook Live, one, it's, it, I'm kind of an, have an introverted uh, creative process where the thought of having to get it right live uh, frightens me. I'd much rather have a script and plan it out and make better content. I also like this idea that you could schedule it during a time when you would want to do other things, such as when I first started doing this podcast, if it was Thursday morning, which is the day that my podcast comes out, I was physically, at my computer, uh, you know, making sure everything went well. But then once I got some processes going and 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 out, you know, I automated uh, some parts. I optimized some parts. I outsourced some parts. Now it 
off very often, it'll be Thursday afternoon. And I'll be like, oh, a podcast episode came out this morning. I didn't even realize because I was busy writing during the time uh, in which I'm best suited for writing. Uh, so this uh, having your, your big content day be Thursday at the end of the week, I find that really interesting. Is there anything that's happening um, on Tuesday and Wednesday that is making the work that you do thurs- on Thursday any easier? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and yes, it is. So Tuesday is really heavy on meetings and calls for me. Um, Tuesday is when I have my team huddle. It's when I have my sales team huddle. Uh, and then um, I just that's when Calendly makes it so that a bunch of people are scheduling calls with me. So Tuesday is like a heavy call day for me. And a lot of times I'll get interesting questions from clients or people that will then make for really good content. Okay. And... I wonder about sort of prioritization here too, because I tend to try to, I mean, more than anything, I'm creating. I don't have a big team and things that you've got several people working for you. I want to create and make it the best content possible. And so actually a lot of the thinking that I'm doing is usually happening on say Mondays and Tuesdays. Mondays, I'm not allowed to work on the podcast generally. Uh, Tuesdays, uh, are, are, are I'm not going to have meetings on Mondays or Tuesdays because those are dedicated to creating. Now, it sounds like you're more in the beginning of the week, you're kind of doing managerial stuff and your creative stuff is, is for later on in the week. Is, is, that, uh, is that the best way for you? Are those the best times for you to do each of those things? Or is this a matter of prioritizing one over another? Uh, it's a little bit of both, honestly. Um, it's interesting. You're actually the first person to sort of ever pick up on that, which is really interesting. Um, it's I, I find that a lot of so a lot of my system, a lot of the, the a lot of the uh, the systems and processes and things that I have come up with have been the result of me putting myself in sort of restrictive situations. You know, whether it's been working from home or smaller hours or having four kids in the house or um, you know whatever those restrictions have been. And those make me sort of come up with new solutions. That's how I like force innovation in many ways. So by having the the beginning of the week sort of front loaded with interesting problems to solve, which is essentially what's what I'm doing. So my team has issues that come up and they have questions for me. Clients have issues and things that come up. So I'm basically I'm creating a situation where I have to solve problems. And inevitably, like every week, those result in really interesting ideas for content. Yeah, and so in a way, it's like you're using your best creative energy or your best energy to solve those problems. And then at the end of the week, which I, I don't know if it's like like this for you, but you know, by Friday, Friday afternoon, I, I, I do a five day work week. Uh, I'm pretty, my energy is pretty tapped out. But it sounds like for you, you find that that to be that to be helpful for creating, and so maybe that helps for for content for you. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm Thursdays are as a content day are somewhat real. I mean, it's fairly relaxed for me, honestly, because the, the other, well, sort of like as a small aside too, is that I don't want to be jumping around throughout the week and like setting up my mic and doing a, a podcast and then, you know, going back to a call and things like that. So I don't want to be switching around those different activities. I'd rather mm-hmm. have Thursday be like, camera's ready, mic's ready, like go, you know, and just spend like two or three hours making stuff. Yeah, but but now I imagine, do you have sort of scripts all ready to go, or are you creating on the fly for these things? 
So I'm, I'm recording all of the ideas as they happen. So I put those in Trello as things that I want to talk about. Uh, but then when it actually comes to creating them, I am creating them on the fly because uh, part of it is that, uh, so we're, I'm producing uh, podcasts every week, Facebook Live every week, and then three newsletters every week. And I, I basically want those to be sort of coordinated. Yeah. So it, it helps that like I have these ideas and then I just sit down and it's like, all right, this one's going to be a Facebook Live. So I'll start recording video. And like now that I did that Facebook Live, I'm going to refer to it on the podcast, which I'll, re- which I'll record now. So it makes it really easy for me to sort of uh, keep everything intertwined. Cross-reference it and it makes it, it's funny, it starts to, it makes things look like you you just had this master plan. Yes. But yes. really, you're just improvising. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, what about beyond the week? You you mentioned that you have a vacation coming up and so that you kind of front-loaded some things that way. Are there any cycles that you work on, uh, say, monthly uh, quarterly, seasonally, yearly? Um, it's, yeah, monthly and quarterly for the most part. So like an example would be uh, all of our social media content, which is, you know, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Uh, I basically produce a 15-minute video once a month. And then we have somebody who edits that down into 30 days of content for all the different platforms. So wow. that's something I'm doing once a month. Um that's very specific. And then quarterly, we run an event. We do a, this uh, one-day workshop that here in New York. And so that's something that we're always preparing for in some ways to tweak. We always, we always, we're always tweaking that. There's always sort of little new, new nuances in the content, new worksheets, things like that, and then the feedback that we get from that as well. So that's something that comes up quarterly. And that's a workshop that we do for the public as well as for the people that are in our Less Doing Leaders coaching program. So it's sort of like, this constant evolving process of like how we can make it better and better each time. But uh, yearly, no, there isn't really much that I would say that's sort of happening on a yearly basis, but definitely monthly and quarterly. Yeah. And you have this four-day weekend. Are there any ways in which you purposefully set up things to be incubated over that weekend so that as you revisit them the next week, you have more clarity? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm getting ideas all the time. Like that, that, that sort of engine never stops. Um, but the key and, and one of the things that I teach, which I think you're aware of, is the, the external brain. And a lot of that is about getting the ideas out of your head sort of as quickly as possible and letting them sort of marinate almost outside of your head in some ways so that you can revisit them with a different brain and different mindset later. And so uh, throughout the weekend, I'll get ideas and I'll just capture those in Trello. Um, and then I'll start looking at those again on Monday, basically. And are you are you always capturing directly in Trello? Say you're at dinner and <laughs> we're, we're having a conversation and suddenly you get an idea. Are you going to take out your phone and put it in Trello? No, there's about 25 different ways that I can get an idea into Trello. Uh, so um, I can tell any of the Alexa devices in our house to capture an idea and that'll go into Trello. I can text a particular phone number. I can call a number and leave a voicemail. That's through IFTTT. Uh, I can put it directly into Trello, of course. I can box it to our VA. So like, I, I never want to be more than 20 seconds away from capturing an idea. Um, so if I was sitting in a meal with you or something like that, I would probably just take out my phone and box something to our VA, which would take me less than 10 seconds, and that would be that. Okay. Now, I have taken to uh, getting a moleskin volant, which is their smallest notebook. It's smaller than an iPhone SE. 
and a, a little pen made by Zebra that collapses and writing my ideas in, in that as an inbox. But then I have to go back and process them. But I was discussing this with some people. And for me, the main thing that I like about it is that if we're at dinner and I take out my phone to record something in, in any manner, there's a, there's a chance there's going to be a text message on the screen or something like that. Are, are you concerned at all about, uh, I guess, distraction uh, or distraction risk of these various capture methods? Uh, so it, it's also, it's a very good question. Uh, no, I'm not. I know that that becomes an issue for some people, but that at this point in what I do and how I work, like that's, I, it, I can maintain focus on what I'm doing and not get distracted by those things. So mm. uh, one of the things that's worth mentioning here is so like multitasking does not exist. So a lot of people are probably aware of that. There's lots of articles about it. You can't actually multitask. What, we, what we're doing when we think we're multitasking is something called context switching, which is just rapidly switching back and forth between tasks. The only way that you can kind of multitask is if you combine a high focus task with a low focus task. So for example, brushing your teeth while reading the news, right? So like reading the news would be the high focus, brushing your teeth would be the low focus. If you if you operate in that sort of dichotomy, I guess in a way of putting it, then the taking out of the phone and leaving a voice message doesn't is low focus for me. So I can be in a conversation with somebody high focus and present with that and it it literally takes like no brain power for me to just leave that message and move on. Mm-hmm. But but you never pick up the phone and then, oh, you see there's a text message on there and you're like, oh gosh, now I need to think about this thing. Well, so here's the thing about that and it's sort of a bigger bigger topic in some ways, but the way that, communi- so communication is like the number one issue that we deal with in, in companies, uh, fixing their communication in a number of different facets. I... I don't get it. If I were to get a text message, it's very likely that it's something very important. I'm not getting text messages for things that are trivial. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm not getting that many text messages, period, uh, because my life is just set up that way. I have set a standard and I've set an expectation with the people that I interact with, both in my personal life and my work life, of the certain ways to contact me and how to do it and when, where. So Voxer is probably one of the number one ways that I communicate or like it's probably the, the most common way that I communicate with people, uh, whether it's my clients or my team. Uh, but my team knows like, if there is something that is urgent in our business and we have defined what I would consider urgent in the business, that's when they should be texting me. So I don't oh. get texts from my team. And then the Voxer, do you not get notifications from those? I do, but it doesn't because it's a voice message that's coming from them. It doesn't pop up and say like what they said. Like it's not like a huh. you like a text message. I can just see that I got a message from someone. And you're comfortable enough with your uh, stability and focus that the the mere fact that there is a new message isn't going to be enough to get you off track. Right. Okay. Cool. Oh wow! Well, this is this has been um, fun comparing notes with you on <laughs> on the weekly routine and these cycles. I, I'm, I'm, you know, and and also the, the capture of of things as well. I think it was probably from you that I got the idea to uh, get um, Aqua Notes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which uh, are in my shower, awesome. and I can write stuff on those and record my ideas that way. So. 
Uh, I hope that people have found this conversation useful. I know that I have really enjoyed uh, hearing about how you set up your week. Uh, where would you like for people to to get more of you, Ari Mizell? Um, so the best thing that they can do, actually, they can go to less.do slash love your work, uh, which will take them to this uh, free mini course that we've created. It's a, a bunch of videos that tell people more about the communication, project management process. It's really useful information, and that's something for your listeners. Wow, awesome. Thank you so much. Just for us, less.do slash love your work. Ari Mizell, thank you so much. Thanks, David. At the core of being able to love your work is one question. Where does the money come from? Does the work you do make humanity better? Do the products you use help you grow as a person? That's why supporting Love Your Work on Patreon is good for all of us. I can focus on making a great show so you can become a better human. It's an honest exchange, value for value. This show costs hundreds of dollars a month to produce and bring to your ears. I invest my time and creative energy in making it, so I can't keep this show going without your support. Please support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Think of it like a coffee meeting. Is this show worth buying me a coffee a month? Head to patreon.com slash to join. You'll get perks such as early access to ad-free content, masterclasses, or office hours directly with me. That's patreon.com slash Or Overcast users, just tap on the dollar sign. Love Your Work is brought to you in part by our top Patreon supporters, such as Jeffrey Mason. The theme music for Love Your Work is At Sea by Dorena from the album About Everything and More by arrangement with Deep Elm Records at deepelm.com. Love Your Work is a production of Cadavy, Inc. <laughs>